Amen. Please be seated. While Nathan was just referring to our incredible men's breakfast uh, yesterday, so many great things going on in our men's ministry, all sort of pointing to September the 15th. It's a Wednesday night. We'll have man church and we want all of our men to be here. That's going to kick off some really great things. And you see in your lifelines today, women's ministry kicking off. Just a few weeks on Saturday, September the 11th, there's a trip to Birmingham to see Priscilla Shire. You actually got a barcode here. You can register, or QR code, excuse me. Um, so make sure, ladies, that you participate in that. Now, let me just ask you this question as we start this morning. Um, I know my answer. Anybody here feel tired? Just right, raise your hand. I mean, just, I, I don't know why lately I've, I've complained a lot about just not having energy. And, and maybe you find yourself in the same place. I, I think we were never intended to live the modern pace of life where we're cramming more and more into our schedules. And then on top of that recently, over the last year and a half, we have what many people called COVID fatigue. Anybody think you might have a little COVID fatigue? We're just tired. We're tired of it. You know, we all got our energy up, man. We got our game up, you know, to face it months ago and thought, you know, after a couple months, we'll be back to normal. And now there's just no definitive end in sight. And we're tired of going through protocols and changing our schedules, not knowing what's going on with our children at school. It just, it just wears you out. And many people losing jobs, you know, losing some significant events that you couldn't attend last year. Even people losing lives, we've experienced that. And so we all come a little bit tired. And my friends, many of us are spiritually tired. And the passage we're looking at today is written to a a bunch of Christians who are just tired. They're having a hard time continuing. Now, here's what I want to say to you about when you're tired When you're tired, it often leads to this drifting we've been talking about. But because you don't really pay attention to what's going on. We often talk about drifting off to sleep. Anybody ever drifted off to sleep in church? Raise your hand. I'm sure that happened in your previous church, right? Yes. We're all tempted and we make mistakes. I don't know what about these last two, but these are my, my moments to confess my terrible driving habits. One of the most dangerous things ever happened in my life was I was living in Pensacola. One of the elders of the University Church in Tuscaloosa had passed away. He'd asked me years before to conduct his funeral. So I'd gone up there, you know, and done the funeral, and I knew I was really tired. And I had an opportunity to stay in Tuscaloosa another night, but I thought, no, I really need to get home. And so I'm driving down I-65 right, right past Bruton. Now, at that point, we had this beautiful, what I call, moonbeam station wagon. Remember those? This was an Oldsmobile. It's white with beautiful blue leather interior. And those things were about as wide as this stage. And so I'm just so tired, I, I finally just drift to sleep. Next thing I know, I wake up and the car is spinning. Thank goodness it was wide and low because I was on one side of the interstate. It spun all the way down. It was a big medium to the bottom of the medium, spun up into the other lanes coming the other way, and then spun all the way down and finally stopped. I was so fortunate that something didn't happen to me. And guys, when you begin to drift, 
you begin to be in a dangerous place. And the easiest time to drift is when you're tired. Remember when we had someone teach us a lesson about pornography? People are most prone to look at pornography when they're tired. And I think for many of the mistakes that we make, when we're tired and we're just seeking an escape, so many things come up as temptations. And so the writer here is saying, what you need to do to stop drifting, we we learned this last week, was to pay attention. And and he's going to say very clearly, today, the answer is to pay attention to Jesus. It's not enough just to wake up and see where you are. You've got to pay attention to Jesus. Now, again, we're in Hebrews chapter 2 if you want to turn to your Bible or go to your phone. And in the book of Hebrews, he says these people, they've got drooping hands. They've got weak knees. And he's trying to get them some energy. And something he'll say repeatedly in the book, fix your eyes on Jesus. If today you're spiritually tired, this section of Hebrews is meant to be an alert. Truck I drive right now, if I start swaying too much back and forth the lanes, there's this big red sign that says alert, says you're, you're, you're beginning to, to drift, and you'll just loudly say that. Now, unfortunately, it doesn't do it when you're backing into brick columns, okay? <laughs> but it does do that. And this is what Hebrews is trying to say, guys. Stop the drift. Pay attention. But what you need to pay attention to is Jesus. So we get to Hebrews 2. Now, there's a great description of Jesus here. He's called the pioneer of our faith, okay? Let's talk about that word for a second. What does it mean to be the pioneer It meant for the person who went ahead of everybody else, who blazed the trail. So here's the way we put it. Jesus has blazed the trail to God for us. Now, different translation called him the trailblazer. He's the originator. In other words, he's the first to make the journey. And if we follow closely behind him, our journey will be easier. I I love story about trailblazers like John, excuse me, Charles Lindbergh. 1927, he made the first transatlantic flight. His airplane was called America. It took him 33 hours with no communication to make it to Paris. It was amazing. And so he blazed the trail for now Millions of people don't think twice about flying across the Atlantic. He made it easier for everybody else. And my friends, that's what Jesus has done for you. He has blazed the trail for you. Now, another shade of meaning for this word that I really, really love is this word pioneer actually was meant to be used for a hero. It was the person who founded a city, who blazed the trail. I think about what Nathan said a couple minutes ago about Junior Bagwell being our hero. He is. Because in this church, he blazed the trail in raising children. He blazed the trail in prayer. He he blazed the trail in just serving. And it makes it easier for us because we got an example in front of us who shows us what to do. Here's a picture I think about. Anybody know what the, the canyon of heroes is? 
It's that place in New York City where they do the ticker tape parades. Why do they call it a canyon? Because the skyscrapers are so tall on each side of the street, it's like being in a canyon. And in that canyon, we honor heroes. Started back in 1886 when we honored George Washington for his inauguration back in 1776. And then it it went all the way to people like Charles Lindbergh in 1927. And they go with these millions of pounds of ticker tape that fall on them as they make this journey. That's the hero. And Jesus, the scripture says, is our hero. Now listen, the problem in Hebrews is they had lots of competition for Jesus being the hero. Some people were into angels. Some people were into Moses. Some folks were into Melchizedek. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. Nobody can compete with Jesus. Enough said. Let's get into the text. Hebrews chapter 2. Let's start in verse 5. It is not to angels that he subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there's a place where someone has testified. It's a psalm he's quoting, talking about man and his role. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. That son of man is not Jesus, it's you and I. You made them a little lower than the angels, but you crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. What's he saying is, guys, when God created the earth and put man on this earth, he put us as his ambassador. He put us to rule in his place and to bring his will to the earth. Now look at the next verse, verse 9. Verse 8, excuse me. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them Here's the problem. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. What's he saying in all these words? He's saying, man is not doing what he was meant to do. In fact, man didn't even make it to first base as ruler of the earth before he handed the title over to Satan. So the life on earth is messed up. And we all have that sense that life's not exactly what it's supposed to be. So he says in verse 8, At present, we do not see everything subject to them. But then in verse 9, he says, but we do see Jesus. The turning point in this passage is verse 9. We see Jesus. Man's not who he ought to be. We see that. But most importantly, now we see a man who is what he's supposed to be. We see Jesus. Just like us. He was made lower than the angels for a little while. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that the grace of God, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And then we see verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, from whom and through whom everything exists, should make, here's our word, the pioneer, the hero of their salvation, perfect through what he suffered. That's a little confusing to me. I thought Jesus was perfect. What's he saying here? We'll talk about that in just a moment. Then in verse 11, he says, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. 
And again, he says, here am I and the children God's given me. Then he says this, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That's the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely, it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he, he, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Verse 18 is so critical. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Well, it's a powerful passage. And what it talks about is Jesus being this trailblazer, how Jesus went first. Now, normally when we talk to Jesus, we quickly gravitate to the atonement verse here. Jesus died for our sins, and I'm thankful for that. But I'm afraid for too many of us, that's about all we see in Jesus. He came, lived a life, died for our sins, isn't that good? But what the writer here is saying, my goodness, guys, not only did he die for your sins, but he blazed a trail for your life. He didn't just care about your eternity. He cared about you being fully human and alive here. So here's what he did. First of all, he lived human life to the fullest. Understand here, guys, Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. And he came as man to reclaim the title that we gave up as ruler of the world. He wanted to bring man back to his rightful place as God's ambassador to the earth. So how do you do that? I'll tell you, this is bottom line how he did it. Everywhere he went, he prayed. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And where Jesus went, sick people were healed Lonely people were befriended, lost people were saved. Because Jesus was the man God had always wanted, a man that would call upon him to do his will on the earth. So Jesus lives life the way it was supposed to be lived. So when you want a hero of who to follow, how to live your life, look to Jesus. Next, he suffered and he grew from it. Guys, when Jesus lived this life, he was not protected from suffering. In fact, I think we could make a case that he suffered more than any of us. But he successfully navigated the suffering of this earth. Now, let's go back to that odd line in verse 10. He was made perfect through what he suffered. I go, well, no, 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 Jesus is perfect. Listen, what, what the writer here is talking about, he's not talking about moral perfection, he was perfect. He's talking about practical profession, perfection. He's talking about that Jesus was functionally equipped to help us. You say, how? He's been through it. He suffered. He's not up in heaven, not understanding. He's up in heaven and he gets it. Who's the person that can help you is the person who actually gets it. So he suffered and he grew from it. And so he's perfectly equipped to help you and me. And then this is pretty 
Shocking to me. He was tempted and he overcame it. Let these three words sink in. Jesus was tempted. What does it mean to be tempted? It means that something comes along that's not right, that tempts you. That even Jesus had those moments when he was drawn to do the wrong thing. It's evident in Gethsemane, Jesus is drawn to not obey God and go to the cross. We'll find out in Hebrews chapter 4. Turn, turn over there. He's tempted in every way we are. Look at Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He's been there. He's been weak. But we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You think Jesus was ever tired and tempted to drift? Please don't get offended by me. You think Jesus was ever sexually tempted? Tempted in every way as we are. You think Jesus ever wanted to quit? Tempted in every way we are, but, but he didn't. That's the good news. He was tempted. He was tempted. I've said that before. People get mad at me because he was tempted. But he didn't sin. Now, what does that mean for us? Look at verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And then last point here, he tasted death and he defeated it. Now, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 will tell us that Jesus, just like all of us, he was afraid of death. Look at Hebrews 5, 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. So Jesus tasted it. But then he blazed the trail right through the grave of death and resurrected so that we don't have to fear death. He's the pioneer. He faced death. He beat it. And now he invites us to follow him through the grave into heaven. So, well, these are some really important points. My friends, Jesus went first so that he can go with us. This is why this passage is so comforting. What Jesus is saying here is when you face life, you're not doing it alone. He's blazed the trail first to make it easier, and now he reaches back and says, go with me. It's the ticker tape prayed through the canyon of heroes, and Jesus is in the front car, and he's placed you in the car behind him. What are some things we found out in this passage? He's family. He's not afraid to call us brothers and sisters. He understands. He's been there. When you go to Jesus with your problems, he never shakes his head and goes, man, I don't get it. I don't know what you're talking about. That's foreign to me. No, he understands. And more than that, he sympathizes. He empathizes. Listen, friend, this is, this is just an amazing fact about our God. When you're hurting, he hurts. When he sees you struggle, he feels the struggle. He doesn't stay up in heaven like, you know, hope they do better, you know. Good luck. I've given you the Bible. Hope you make it. 
No. He feels with you. And here's the deal. Because of all those things, he can help. Who's the person that can help you in your problem? It's the person who's faced the same problem. Who in this audience can help the alcoholic? It's the person who overcame alcohol. Who's the person that can help the people struggle with depression? It's the person who's been through it and understands it. Who's the one that can help us in our life? It's Jesus. And so what the writer's trying to say here, guys, is if you really are tired, the problem is somehow you've, you've left that relationship with Jesus that keeps you motivated. This morning, I want to illustrate this with one of my favorite couples, Austin and Taylor Moore. Uh, if you guys would come up and join me on the stage. Um, these guys came to our church about two and a half years ago. In fact, Austin was the first one who came. They were dating, later engaged, and been married. And if you come to most anything at Landmark, they're part of it. And just a great, great couple. And I've seen them grow so much. And I always remember, uh, two and a half years ago, the first time Austin came to church, I'm standing back on the middle door, and he comes by, and I shake his hand, we introduce ourselves. And the first thing he said, I think I said, what brought you to Landmark? And he said, I came here looking for something different. Austin, what was that? Yeah, so I grew up in a very awesome home, awesome parents. We did not miss a service Sunday morning, night, Wednesday night. But as I grew older and graduated high school, I realized very quickly that it was time for me to find my own faith and not just live on my parents' faith. And I met Taylor, and from Taylor's background, she kind of challenged me to start looking for myself. And what I found was, and I love our tradition and everything, but sometimes our tradition goes before our mission. And when I found a landmark, when I came to Landmark, that was not the case at all. And I was just really tired of living that better, safe, and sorry lifestyle. And I was just ready to give my all to Jesus and be able to worship him fully and serve him fully. And you couldn't have picked a better spouse because Taylor's absolutely on fire for God. And so... On fire. <laughs> is it okay for me to compliment you? I looked at him and said... Okay, yes. Austin, did you catch that? Yeah. Good. Okay, all right. So for both of you, I've watched you grow. And a lot of us describe it this way, sort of from a rule-keeping religion to a religion that's a relationship with Jesus. How have you experienced that? I would say for me that um, I started viewing um, the Lord as more of a father figure and less of a boss. Um, Instead of viewing him as like somebody that gives me this long checklist of rules that I need to follow and that I got to get done by the end of the day or by the end of the month or um, like that, I started viewing him as this father that loves me and only wants the best for me. And so it, you know, motivated me more to want to do his will. That's, that's a big change of motivation, you know, from just from fear to love. How about you, Austin? Yeah, so growing up, I never heard a whole lot about grace. And when I came to Landmark, that is something not only you, but everybody you talk to in this church, they drive home grace. And when I found out that, like she said, when you mess up, 
it's okay. You can come back from it. And that just meant the world to me and let me be more free and just to be able to minister that to, minister that to other people. So Austin, I know before you came, you were, you, you said you were drifting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how did grace help un, how, interrupt that drift? Well, it, um, to be honest with you, it brought me Taylor and it just, with her influence on me and her, and her focus on God, it really woke me up to where I needed to be. So I think God kind of sent her to me and just showed me where I needed to be and what kind of man I needed to be and what kind of husband I needed to be. And I've just been really blessed by it. So, sort of our point today is it's, it's this relationship with Jesus that keeps us motivated. And when we drift away from that, we, we start getting tired and even get tired of church and all those kind of things. So, how does being in a relationship with Jesus keep you motivated? Um, I feel like for me, it's just thinking constantly on um, his love and um, I always think about what I can do for his kingdom, to further his kingdom, because that's my only purpose here on this earth is to do his will. And so, um, and just to reminding myself of how much he loves me um, and what he did for me, um, that really keeps me motivated to do his will for my life. Well, I feel like you you said two really significant things there, Taylor. You you said love, which is the ultimate motivation, but you also said purpose. And I think why so many people in life are tired is we don't have a big purpose. God's giving you a purpose. Austin, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, well, just the fact that the Lord's always there with open arms ready to welcome us back when we mess up. And that's just a, it's an eye-opening experience. You know, so you're like all of us. You're on this journey, you know, just like these Hebrews. They had followed Jesus, but they started drifting. What tempts you guys to drift away from Jesus? For me, it's um, whenever I get into the, um, busyness of everyday life. Um, I'm very busy with, whenever school starts. I'm a teacher, so I get very busy um, during the school year. And so for me, it's constantly living in step with the fruits of the Spirit and constantly thinking on things above, constantly being in that communication with God throughout the day and just being in a prayerful mindset and trying to live my life like that so that I do not drift. I love that. I love that. How about you, Austin? Especially, I mentioned, Taylor mentioned she's a teacher. Austin's a firefighter, and um, he's confessed to us that that's not always the easiest place to live for Jesus. So how how do you keep from drifting? No, um, like I was telling you earlier, it just, I got to, I see that as kind of like a mission field and that I can be different there because a lot of times I am different there. And just sometimes you can even mention, like, you can sprinkle a little bit of God in everything. Yeah. And you can say, guys, we may need to pray about this. Or just being that guy that just may have different language than other guys, may think differently about different things than the other guys. And there's always a way that you can just stand out and show that you're a man of God, you have faith, and so... You know, I've seen in both of you, there's just an intentionality. It's sort of like the quotation from Andy Stanley last week. You know, we plan for what is good. We drift toward what is bad. And so what I see, and I'm so proud of you guys, is you're very intentional 
about going to for the good. That's, that's not to say you're perfect or anybody, anybody is, but it's to say you got your heart set on Jesus. Um, how do you um, how do you stay close to Jesus? And, and while we're talking about that, we're about to go into communion. I'd like y'all to comment on how communion helps you. If you're our guest today, there are communion supplies in the middle aisles. You might want to get those. And after they pray, um, we're going to take communion together. And that's going to be, to us, that's the highlight of the service because it's exactly what we're talking about. It makes us pay attention to Jesus. So before I start preaching, how does communion help you? Um, communion helps me to focus on the community um, because we are all doing this as one body coming together. And so I feel like that community is so important um, to keep us not from drifting. And also it is our just, um, I thought of the one word as you were preaching, just thankful, thankful, thankful. Um, Just so thankful for that grace and that forgiveness. And just, we just need to share that with God, that we are just so thankful for that. That's That's what Paul calls it, the cup of thanksgiving. How about you, Austin? What's communion you mean? Well, uh, communion for me personally is by far my favorite part of every Sunday morning. You didn't have to say that. Well, (laughs) preaching's a close second. No, thank you, thank you. Anyways, um, no, to me, though, it's the close, for me, it's the closest feeling I have to God. Mm. Because you're literally coming to sit at his table and eat with him. And it's just, there's, there's no feeling like it to me. Amen. So, Austin, would you pray for us? And, church, let's um, meet around the table and take communion together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this Sunday that we're able to come and worship you, God. We thank you for just everything this church means to so many of us, Father. And we just thank you for this opportunity that we're able to just gather around your table, Father, and just fellowship with you. God, please let us never take that for granted. We thank you for your love, your grace, and your forgiveness, Father. And just now pray. Amen. What the writer of Hebrews has been trying to say to us and what hopefully this service is saying to you is stop and pay attention. Where are you with Jesus? Now, I'll make this simple for you and then for me to, to really evaluate for a moment. And I'm going to give you some answers, actually, to help you out here. How is your relationship with Jesus? Because that's the key to staying energized. That's the key to not drifting. I'll give you six choices. Obviously, you can make up your own. Number one, you might be here and say today, I really don't know Jesus. And if that's you, we are just so thankful you're here. This is a safe place to ask questions. This is a safe place for you to begin that journey. Some of you might say, you know, I'm just getting to know him. You're at the beginning of your walk and everything you see is good. You just got some more steps to take. Some of us might have to confess, we're just acquaintances with Jesus. Many of us who grew up in church, sometimes we know about Jesus, but we really don't know Jesus. Some of you have been drifting, and you'd have to say today, if you're honest, we used to be close. I miss that. Some of you, I know, can say, you know what? We are growing closer and closer. I love Jesus, and it gets better every day. And some of you, I'm assured, could say, you know what? The truth is, he's my best friend. So as you look at that, guys, how would you answer? Does one of those answers fit you? You need to put a couple of them together, come up on your own. 
You say, I'm really sort of confused of how I've gotten there because some of you can say, you know, I really was once really close to Jesus and now I'm I'm being honest and going, I'm not. How in the world does that happen? I want to remind you of what we said last Sunday. To destroy your relationship with Jesus, all you have to do is nothing, okay? You don't have to set out to reject Jesus. You don't have to set out to go into sin. You just drift, not even knowing it. That's why we're here today, to interrupt that drift. So how's your relationship with Jesus? Because we want Jesus to be the focus of this church. Let me say something as passionately and as convicted as I can say. This church is not about musical instruments or not musical instruments. You ought to clap at that. All right? That's, that is not our focus. We're going to talk about it. And we're going to make it through this thing. But that could never be our focus. It's not worthy of that. And in your life, if you're absorbed in that controversy on one side or the other, it's not worthy of that. What your life and my life need to be absorbed with, what we need to be fixated on is Jesus. And that changes everything. And so I ask you this morning, are you tired? And are you tired because you're not walking in that close relationship? You're not staying on that trail he's blazed for you? That he's cleared the path. Hebrews says he's cleared a new and living way. You're not living life to the fullest, and you want to. And you just need to get back behind Jesus Christ. I love what Jesus said to those of us in here that are tired. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, And learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you will find rest for your soul. You might be like the sister who walked forward first service and said, I am just so tired, and I can't get past it on my own. As we sing this song in just a moment, if you're ready to follow Jesus, to follow him because he's blazed the trail. You don't have to figure everything about life. He's already figured it out. Then, then meet us up here today. You could be baptized. Or, or maybe you once did that, but, but you have drifted and you are tired. And I just beg you, don't walk out of these doors without giving us a chance to pray for you. Let's lift Jesus up in everything we do, starting right now while we stand together and sing.